Okay, Matt's going to go over to Tucker Carlson in a minute, then we'll talk about the Richard Spencer Sticks and Hammer debate on internet anonymity. And I was surprised I found all of my uh, emotional empathy was actually with Richard on this debate, even though I, I probably agreed more with uh, Sticks and Hammer. So Jesse Waters is just uh, wrapping up here. And then we'll toss it to Tucker, see if Tucker can hold our attention. And then we'll be right back discussing the debate last night between Richard Spencer and Six and Hammer. I made about uh, 10 different timestamps on that debate. It represents a great step forward in moral thinking. So Richard also did a call for his Substack subscribers on the debate, so we'll check that out as well. Well, good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Tucker Carlson tonight. I'm Will Kane, in for Tucker. Now, here's a stat that puts the country's collapse into perspective, maybe more than any other. The Dow Jones just recorded its eighth straight weekly loss. The last time that happened was all the way back in 1932, around the height of the Great Depression. Now, right now, a lot of Americans are wondering, how did we get here so quickly, just a year and a half, into Joe Biden? It's been a rapid decline. If you get a moment this weekend, go on the Internet and pull up Joe Okay, so no Tucker Carlson tonight. Let's jump into last night's Sticks and Hammer versus Richard Spencer debate. At least on the right. However, it is a very real thing in the sense of troll farms and bots promoting a particular agenda or more likely than not, just simply promoting chaotic, almost quasi brainwashing agendas in other countries. That is actually so a people, serious so thing. So people that you don't states, agree with. So people you don't agree with. And see Okay, so that's bogus. The idea that bot farms are just brainwashing large numbers of people. I mean, that's a really weak argument. Obviously, we did not evolve to be gullible. So Russia spent a few thousand dollars on Facebook ads. So the United States sometimes has an interest in interfering in other countries' political affairs and cultural affairs. So to Soviet Union, Russia have an interest at times in interfering in our affairs. But the idea that bot farms are some kind of major threat to Western civilization, I don't think that that holds up. So incredibly weak opening argument there by Richard Spencer. That's, uh, that gets at the crux of the problem that I wanted to bring up. I think that your disdain of 4chan, I, some people mentioned accelerationism. I don't agree with them uh, at all. I think that you genuinely dislike 4chan on a visceral level because it enables people to meme about you, and most of those memes are negative. And the same thing is true of me and of Ralph and of literally every other content creator, but I think that you got into the kitchen and you couldn't take the fire, and you decided, okay, well, 4chan has to die because they're, they're ridiculing me and, and they shouldn't be allowed to do this unless I know who it is so that I can strike back. And I don't okay, see that's that, a great I don't see that as the way, argument see, sticks. No, no, no. no. I, see, I don't see that as the way that the internet should work. I like it that people are capable of criticizing me. They, ha I have no clue who they are, and I can laugh along with them, especially on 4chan. Where okay, so I think Sticks has a solid point here, in the sense that uh, Richard was not nearly as upset or concerned about anonymity on the internet when that was working in his favor. 
But you can't keep banging on about this. It's not really a productive basis for an ongoing debate. It's just something you have to dip in and then move on. You can go to B and you can post basically whatever you want. You can mock people. You can ridicule people. And the whole point is that because you're anonymous, you tend to be more truthful about your feelings. I personally find that a positive thing. I 100% disagree with what you just said. But... Uh, to to go back to it, memed on. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't care yes, about the, do. I'll tweet out the memes. You're making no, a simple no, an, an argument. And when I contradict you, you say, Oh no, it isn't. And then uh, what, what do I say? No, I don't. I, the memes can be funny. They can be stupid. They can be whatever. I don't care. And uh, the chat says it's easy for, for Richard to put his face behind his words. He's got trust funds to support him. It's much harder when, when you have a job. And uh, Richard's not vulnerable to getting fired for his voice. The issue. But, okay. I can't contradict you, so... And, and Richard's making a good point there. There's no, you know, contradiction there. It's, it's an observation. It either works or it doesn't work. And then you've just got to move on. You can't come and keep coming back to it. We, we just need to simply move on on that issue. But I'm just Why would saying I want to move not... on on a winning issue? I think I'll hammer it home for the next hour. You wanna... It's not a winning issue. It's, it, it may be accurate, but... You can't really keep hanging on about it for an hour because it, there's no way of validating it. It's not a basis for, for really debate or discussion. Either. Endlessly talk about how I fear Spencer memes on 4chan. Yes. That's okay. Yes. I think that's because you, okay, we're not this, talking this, about this gets, this, Six, no, no, We are so going to talk about that. This gets to the debate that we had, I think, three or four years ago when you, procl- you proclaimed that you wanted to be like the sort of oligarch of oligarchs of a white brotherhood leading society. I remember that. I can't remember exactly. I think that was still on Worski's show. That was the time. Sargon debate? No, it was after the Sargon debate. But you, you proposed that you would be... Uh, you would want a leadership position in a potential you know, alt-right or post-alt-right sort of world. And the problem is that people joked about it more than they took it seriously. And so you went on 4chan and you saw the memes that people were making and you got livid about it because you were taking things too seriously instead of just enjoying the memes. And then you decided now to lash out at them as part of a quasi-accelerationism sort of thing. Okay, so Richard, so I and you know, almost everyone who tries to get serious with ideas is going to look like a pompous fool at times. I mean, that, that's, that's the price you pay when you actually stand for something, when, when you believe in standards, when you, you want to make some kind of moral stand, when you, when you want to stand up for something. All right. It's very hard to do any of those things without looking little pompous and foolish at times. Which is why okay. you voted for Biden and why you support neoliberalism, because you think that will collapse Western civilization. And in the wake of that, somehow, I don't know by what methodology, somehow you will emerge as the sort of white god man and you'll, I guess, lead people to salvation. Okay, so Richard and, and I are really easy to mock. Uh, Dennis Prager, very easy to mock because we, we often take things very, very seriously. And also, Richard has said more than his share of ridiculous things. So, in large part, Richard brought this line of attack on himself. It's just not a productive basis for an ongoing discussion. Or something along those lines. That's quite a tale, Styx. Um, thank it you for that. Be, it seems to be a nonfiction novel. one. Uh, I, I can't answer this kind of thing because it's a weird ad hominem conspiracy of theory. <laughs> conspiracy. Now you're using the term conspiracy theory. You align now with the ADL with regards to 4chan and similar sites, and now you're using the term conspiracy theory. Sticks, you I am are, you are trying to make an argument, and you're derailing it, and you're not I, addressing I, okay, it. Okay, so I'm supposed to go into your lane. I mean, because you're a leftoid now, you think that I'm supposed to stay in your lane, and I'm supposed to believe by your rules. Well, that ain't going to happen, Richard. 
That's not sticks, the way that it works in Plankton. Sticks. As Go I ahead. said, yeah, you have to actually let me speak first off. But secondly, as I said, you're offering a theory that I rejected, but I can't really argue against it because you'll simply respond, oh, but it's actually true. And the fact that you said no means it's true. So we just have to move on. I don't know what to say. Well, so what do you say to that, Sticks? I know what he said. Wait, 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 wait. I'm so terrified by cheeseburger memes and like Spencer things. I mean, give me a breath. You can find those in a number of places. I'm admitting it. All right, we've just got to move on. Now, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, 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 wait. So what he's... Well, I'm not going to talk to you if this is all... Wait, wait, gentlemen, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Go ahead and rage quit. Oh, my God. All right. Now, he's saying that uh, basically he's rejecting your assertion, Sticks. And he- just move this forward so we're not just dwelling on this nonsense, okay? I'm sure that I said yes to that in some, you know, expression of my own arrogance or whatever. You're, you're undoubtedly correct. But I think what one thing that that interested me in what you just said is that Spencer took all of this stuff seriously. He didn't understand that it was just about the memes. I think that's actually a profound insight. I do take all this stuff seriously. I take ideas seriously. I also have to stand behind those ideas. There's a return address when I say something for good and for ill. So, you know, my brilliant hot take gets, uh, you know, spread around and it comes from me also, you know, the horrible shit, the uh, the tape from Charlottesville gets blasted everywhere, and it has a return. Okay, so that's pretty self-aware there by, by Richard. An address, because uh, you have to take the good and the bad when you take responsibility for what you say. And that is what defines you. That is a serious problem with 4chan. Now, if 4chan were merely what it was as, at its origins when it was created by Moot, and it was literally a Japanese porn page for oh, yeah, users. Yeah. Oh, actually, Moot said explicitly, I created the page in order to share porn so that other people would post more porn as well. It was a porn, it was a porn site for weirdos. Now, uh, Richard's matured a lot from from even two, three years ago when he was still talking about we have to take what was winning about Charlottesville. We have to celebrate Charlottesville. We have to remember the great things that we did in Charlottesville. And now he's singing a different song, admitting that uh, in his Charlottesville rant, he looks ridiculous. And I haven't heard him talking about all the winning that went on at Charlottesville. I haven't, haven't heard that line from him for, for years so i think that's an improvement if that is all it is then whatever uh the real issue is that 4chan and and when i say 4chan i'm, I'm referring to a whole broad um you know number of sites great number of sites you know 8chan 8coon all, all this kind of anonymous message boards no one is ultimately willing to take responsibility for what they say um it is all about the memes but then they take things very seriously in the most horrible way possible so what is 4chan's great contribution to world discourse it's QAnon. it's hosting child pornography it's okay so that's kind of a a nihilistic contribution there by sticks Uh, who cares what its contribution is your contribution matters. I mean, you you want to reduce outgroup hatred, then d- do everything you can to behave well in your group, right? The better Jews, blacks, gays, homosexuals, uh, Japanese, Chinese, uh, Latinos, Christians, like the better any group behaves, then the less likely it is that outgroups w- will have animosity for them. So 
if you've got a controversial forum like 4chan, you need to you have to make a case for it beyond oh, I believe in free speech, therefore anything that goes on 4chan it doesn't need to be justified. I mean, that is a a nihilistic approach saying that there doesn't need to be any excuse, any reason, any any moral basis, any intellectual basis, any social or cultural or political basis for this message board. So I, I think uh, Richard's making the stronger point here. We should actually care what something is producing. And if that's if what it is producing is something that is just simply overall damaging to society. In, in real life, we judge things by their fruits, right? So if Christianity is good, we come to that conclusion based on the behavior of Christians, right? If 4chan is good, we come to that conclusion based on the behavior of its users, right? If uh, any particular ideology, religious, political, or cultural is good or bad, we make that judgment based largely on the behavior of its users, not on its ontology, meaning its, you know, its ultimate ultimate being society yeah, when you then bring up, i think when we you should look up, at it in a very different illicit, life when you bring up illicit porn and fortune you sound like bill o'reilly more than 10 years ago calling it the internet hate machine and calling it far left by the way at the time i would say this in rebuttal to you you absolutely I, mean, I, right. can't, I can't remember exactly who was hosting the debate but you absolutely when i questioned you about it you proclaimed that you wanted to be the eventual potential leader i admitted that i admitted I'm sure i did that i'm sure of, i did that of a potential like you know white ethno-nationalist society and so yeah. my my proposition my proposition is simply this you take that very seriously. You lost. Um, the, the plot was lost. Uh, that's obviously not going to happen. You're not going to have your microstate or balkanization or whatever you want. And so now you're salty. Well, I mean, it's true. Go on, go on. And, and go now, on, and now you're salty about that, and you're salty because... Okay, so this is the whole basis of, of Richard's, uh, of Stix's critique of Richard, and, and I don't think it's, it's the strong basis for an ongoing discussion. Yeah, let's let's get more. powerfully to ultimately inspire people to engage in violence. They use memes. They use irony. They use hum- humor. All of the tricks of the trade of the contemporary. Okay, so I don't think that's an accurate perception of the upshot of 4chan is to get people to engage in violence. The internet those things. But, but, but Richard, what I would well, say you're is just Twitter, dismissing Twitter, all of it. I don't well, deny that they use I'd, slavery. Sure, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to make a point here. You're talking about Twitter and the idea of Elon Musk. You support the takeover, as I do, uh, trying to make sure that people are more verified. But Twitter is not 4chan. They serve an entirely different function. So you you can't see how that's apples to oranges. Number one. Number two. Your acts in Charlottesville and thereafter have been panned and used by the legacy media in exactly the same manner that you're attempting to use, like the Buffalo shooting and things like that, to go after anonymous, the evil 4chan, the evil uh, Twitch, and all of these things. Can't you see how you're being a hypocrite by taking up exactly the same line as the people who attacked you? No, I learned certain things from Charlottesville and the fact that it was ultimately a debacle. I do think that, as Donald Trump said, there were good people on both sides. I think there were a lot of good people at Charlottesville. I think, a, obviously, I have a right to pro, to assemble and protest given to me in the Constitution, and that's unequivocal. I, I would like to talk about what free speech actually means in the First Amendment a little bit later, but the uh, you know freely assembling to air grievances is explicit, and I don't think it could be understood in any other terms. Um, that being said, yes, w- the major problem with Charlottesville, if we, w- well, first off, the major problem was that there was a, uh, a just total incompetency. I, I once thought it was malicious. Um, after reading the Hefe report, I, or Hefe report, I generally think it was just simply incompetence. Um, so he's talking about the city of Charlottesville's reaction, the law enforcement reaction. So a lot of the time we attribute malice 
to other people and to institutions when incompetence is much more apt. But yes, that was handled in the worst possible way by authorities, local and state, and made everything worse. But there's also no doubt that, you know, there were good people um, on the alt-right side in Charlottesville. There were a lot of bad people. And there were a lot of bad people who had been energized in a, in a horrible way, uh, not too dissimilarly from um, Peyton uh, Grendon. Yeah, uh, they were up to no that. good, and they wanted to cause harm. Um, that is not obviously what I imagined. Um, I thought this would be a, a... Right, so this is after Hellgate. This is on, on the morning of Charlottesville. Richie was going around after having drunk some, some liquor. He was greeting everyone with Hail Victory. So what kind of people did you think was going to resonate to this Nazi message, Richard, the, the salt of the earth or the marginalized? A lot of fun, and yeah, sure, Antifa would show up and whatever, but um, I expected you, you thought it was going to be a lot of fun when people who have a pension for throwing their own poop at the police show up? It doesn't sound like fun. It sounds like hell to me. Well, fair enough, but maybe, I mean, that's maybe, maybe it's your misguidance more than 4chan's misguidance. You can criti- hey, cri- criticize, criticize my naivete all you want. That's fair enough. But we did do a number of events. There was a lot of excitement and so on. We did events afterwards. So, it, yeah, that is what I expected. Uh, but the fact is, there actually were a lot of bad people there. I guess we're getting off on a bit of a digression here. But a little bit. It just it is what it is. Um, right. You make you make one Nazi salute, and uh, your your social standing is forever affected. But the idea that like there aren't bad actors within the an ecosystem like 4chan. I'm using 4chan writ large. It's just the the notion of this anonymous internet based on politics, based on distorting ideas, and through memes, basically making something that is worth talking about. We're talking about seriously, like the Great Replacement, making it more and more salacious and horrible and violent and disgusting. That actually is a huge problem and i know so i don't have the stomach for 4chan 4chan poll i mean i think that's the only board on 4chan that i've ever spent time on i'd say i probably spent uh, less than four hours of my whole life on, on 4chan i don't have the stomach for it uh sticks apparently goes on there every day I wonder how he does that. We don't this live in a sane society. I know we don't. Li- I'll finish right now. I know we don't live in a sane society. But and if we did live in a sane society, that yes, that is a problem that needs to be solved, and that but problem is- should be solved through the power of the yeah. state. Uh, why? I mean, how is the state any more sensible? I think that I would prefer any randomly chosen group of four chan users to run the Senate than the senators that have actually been elected. That is insane. How? <laughs> It sounds like William F. Buckley said something like, you know, I, I, would, re- I would trust random people picked out of the phone book yeah, yeah, than I really would. politicians. I, I really would. The, the government, <laughs> look at the government right now. Your, your boy Biden that you voted for, he's doing such a great job economically. I think that we could get a couple of 4chan nerds that know how to use a TI-83 calculator and they could probably manage the economy better. Look at crime. I think we could get a couple of random former cops that happen to use political... So, by the way, is anyone watching the USFL... Okay, I haven't heard any buzz about the USFL. So... ...incorrect, and they would have a better policy with regards to policing. Look at the executive branch. It's run by a dude who clearly has dementia that you crazily voted for. I think that anybody could replace him. You do a better job. Ethan Ralph would do a better job. I'd do a better job. It's low-hanging fruit, though, because the cat could do a better job. So I, why are you so... Why are you so... I, I, why do you have your ass in here about... What I'm saying is... Do you want state control? 
I want better people in politics too. There's not like we, we live in a disturbed society, but to basically, under, but what I said, Biden's disturbed. Yes. <laughs> well, sometimes state control is the answer. I'm not saying it is with regard to 4chan, but when Reagan was, was running in the 1980s and he said, government's not the solution. Government's the problem. Well, sometimes government's the problem. Sometimes government's the solution. Sometimes the elites are right. Sometimes the people are right. Sometimes the working class is right. Sometimes the upper classes are right about things. There's no group, there's no ideology, there's no politics, there's no religion that's uh, consistently right. I think that's, that's what I understand to be postmodern, recognizing that there's no one narrative that is sufficient to explain reality. I, I think our society is going down the tubes in general. I thought maybe we could reach common ground on that. If we're going down the tubes, then what's happening to China? What's happening to Russia? What's happening to Japan? What's happening to England? Uh, what's happening to Germany and France? We're in far better position than all the other major powers. So this is this is myopic to think that America is just going down the tubes. <laughs> Point. But, can, uh, but I think it can be saved. You want it to be collapsed. You so think, it can, you, you think it can be saved through like the marketplace <laughs> of ideas or something. I fully reject that. I think the worst you possible ideas come out of the anonymous. Well, you, who's the accelerationist now? What I'm saying is that in the event that we are lucky enough to live in a sane society, we are going to have to deal with problems like this. And the only way to deal with them is through state power. The state is ultimately has a is that the only way to deal with these problems what the the internet or murder is that is that the only answer open question shadow over all over the economy and all of these things oh, it is through the state like that. that you can actually control these things and properly censor things that are absolutely toxic to the body politic okay so richard wants to properly censor things that are toxic to the body politic he wants to censor things that are not good for the health of the nation. So who would you trust to make those decisions? So I would have to side with Sticks opposed to Richard on this. I don't want the government. You're basically like the steward of Gundam. We're talking about the ring of, of Sauron, the ring of power. Yes, Tolkien was it? wrong. I'm not a libertarian. Yeah, you're going to use it. You're going to, you're going to use the power of the ring of darkness in order to uh, make things better. That'll work. Yes. It's not Darth like Vader was ever, right. Nobody's <laughs> Listen, Stalin didn't try this before. Pol Pot didn't think of that before. Every oh, society, every society, the, the notion of free, unadulterated, and in some degree inconsequential speech is a very tenuous contemporary and and you could say briefly held concept every you're you're using stalin and pol pot hold on hold on i'll I'll let you speak just hold on you're using stalin and pol pot as straw men of these like horrible people who murdered all you know uh, millions every society every state and government has engaged in censorship including and richard's right about that but my own position is about as close to free speech absolutists as you can get without going crazy the United States, this and notion never of benevolent. the last we have had this kind of consequence free notion of free speech for about 100 years, and it ultimately derives from Oliver Wendell Holmes. There's never been a consequence free notion of free speech because everybody has had a home address. Right? 
everybody has had attachments to other people outside themselves. There has never been a time in history when you could say what you wanted and there'd be no consequences for your speech. Right. So this notion, the last last hundred years, thanks to Oliver Wendell Holmes, we've had this notion of consequence free free speech that's never existed in human history and can never exist. But that has led to absolute chaos in society. It is, I mean, the porn question is just. Okay, so if, if our society is chaos, then what is Somalia? What is Russia? What is China? I, I mean, if our society is absolute chaos, then, then point to me to higher functioning societies. And you know, where is it so much better? I mean, obviously, I was in Australia. Yes, there's, generally speaking, a higher quality of life in Australia. There are a lot of first world industrialized nations with more social cohesion, more social capital, and less crime, and therefore a higher quality of life. But to call the United States chaos, look, this American carnage stops here and stops now. So obvious. I mean, I, I, I think everyone agrees that, you know, things like child pornography or abuse or whatever, that, that is absolutely illegal. Yeah, it violates the NAP, so of course it's Well, oh, don't give me the NAP crap. Of course uh, I of, will. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm glad we... So the NAP is uh, libertarian speak for the non-aggression principle. We agree on that. Okay. But we, no one can deny how toxic even vanilla porn is. At the I very least, that, yeah. at I the do. very least in high consumption. That we have to have a notion of the health of the people when we make determinations like this. It isn't just criminality, and it isn't just the non-aggression principle. We have to How recognize does this have that anything to do with 4chan's existence. I'm using an That's analog of other things. Like incorrect, which is the board that you really have have mentioned specifically is not a porn board. It, it explicitly bans porn. So why do you have a problem with the whole site? So why don't you just get? Why don't you just propose right now that 4chan gets rid of the porn boards and politically incorrect can stay and continue to meme you? So otherwise, you're just strawmanning the situation. All... So Richard is right that pornography and civilization uh, do clash, right? That there's an inherent clash, and all societies have placed sub restrictions on on pornography. And it's a good question to raise. You know, what is for the health of the people? What is good for society? But who then gets to make those determinations and carry out censorship on that basis? That that's where I depart. So you can use moral suasion, you can use stigma. I think you can use a lot of tools aside from state power in these areas. Well, they were, if all they were doing was memeing me, I would not make an argument of this magnitude. Okay, we've we, heard we, it. 4chan, please, meme Richard Spencer. Stop uploading porn. I want you to block all porn. With okay, that's just kind of a childish argument there by, by Sticks. Let's get to something much more serious. So I'd like you to write an original essay comparing and contrasting John Denver's Annie's song with the Donna Summer version of Could It Be Magic? In particular, I want you to focus on this. So in Could It Be Magic, Donna Summer sings, I want you to come, 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 come into my life. So what does Donna Summer mean? When she sings, I want you to come, come, come into my life. And compare and contrast that to John Denver in any song where he sings, you fill up my senses, come fill me again. So 
is the major difference here that it's that it's a bloke singing rather than a Sheila? That how would you compare and contrast John Denver in any song singing You Fill Up My Senses, Come Fill Me Again, and Donna Summer in her version of, of Could It Be Magic? She implores the listener, I want you to come, come, come into my life. Right. What what's what's the real meaning there? So I often talk about uh, Nick Puentes and and people like him on the right who who use Christianity for political purposes, but I don't see any genuine Christianity in that I don't see any real sacrifices. Well, Donna Summer made sacrifices. She was aware when she was stepping outside of Christianity. So when she was singing, you know, Love to Love You, Baby, right? She told Time Magazine, December 1975, that she put aside her Christian beliefs to write that song. She said, I let go long enough to show all the things I've been told since childhood to keep secret. And so in the extended version of Love to Love You, Baby, Time Magazine counted 22 orgasms. And I would guess there are about that many orgasms in her extended version of Could It Be Magic? But she was cognizant enough to, to realize that she was stepping outside of Christianity. I'd have more respect for Nick Fuentes if when, in his words, and his behavior, he's stepping way outside of Christianity. He, he was going, hey, I know I talk a lot about Christ as King, but I'm stepping outside of Christianity to say and speak and, and act as I, I'm acting now. So in 1979, Donna Summer recommitted to her Christianity. She stopped performing Love to Love You, Baby. She says, if I were to do that song like I did it in the old days, the fire department would have to be at the show. Like riots would break out in Argentina and Italy. It's not, it's not the kind of song you just want to throw out there. And so I've been forced to contain my own show because just too many riots were breaking out and the fire department was being caught here and there. So I've had to kind of turn down the, the intensity and the, the charm and the, the charisma level of my own show just for the public good, for the health of the public, just like Richard Spencer's talking with about. the Andy Six log of shit memes. Okay, I co-sign on that. Command. Yes, don't do anything but Spencer memes. I co-sign. Yes. And Andy Six. That's not pornographic either. Okay, I'm using <laughs> pornography as a bit of an analogy, but it's something else that I would want to ban, um, in the sense, or at the very least, strictly limit, uh, in the sense that pornography is deeply unhealthy. Uh, Richard mentions he likes the United Kingdom solution, and I like it too, where in the United Kingdom you have to specially sign up to get access to pornography. Otherwise, it's automatically blocked by your ISP. Seems reasonable. And it is not an aphrodisiac, if you allow me to extend this for a little bit. It, porn, por, contemporary pornography is not like pornography of yesteryear. It is not an aphrodisiac. It is a sex substitute. It so is even better than Victorian, the real thing. So Victorian yeah. porn is your aphrodisiac. Have you seen some of the weird stuff that they did? Uh, so not as many, porn much bad. of it as you if, have. If your great-grandma got naked, that's okay to Richard Spencer. If your sister gets naked, that's a totally different story because it's not in black and white anymore. No, there is a fundamental difference between high-definition, <laughs> on-demand porn everywhere on the internet. That is fundamentally different than the way that erotica was consumed in, in past ages. No, we have to recognize this problem and not see it abstractly. 
No, like, they had deep shows that were way weirder, dude. Have you seen some I'm of not, I'm not talking about weirdness. I'm sure there were weird there's weird shit, of course. But the 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 just the physical act of walking to or riding a horse to a peep show and seeing that it's in a limited quantity just by necessity. The ability for young men to exist online and have no connection with the real world, no connection with actual sex. Which is, of course, like you think the major problem. User, you're, you're basically making the same stereotype about 4chan users and, and so forth that leftoids make. Oh, have sex and sell. You have no life. I use 4chan. Yeah, I'm, you're I right. have 4chan. I'm not looking at porn. I'm happily married. I have a life. I have a career. It's It's got a better redemption arc than yours. Uh, so what's the problem? <laughs> okay, so terrific uh, Twitter thread by Ben Collins of NBC News. He writes, I want to tell a quick story. The Buffalo shooter had a toothache. So he spent uh, six months before the shooting messaging himself on Discord. He did it the same way you would email yourself a reminder. It was every stray thought he had for half a year archived as a handbook. So in this Discord archive that's over 500 pages, the Buffalo shooter wrote about where he wanted to attack, his true motivations, even how badly he needed a haircut. Minutes before the shooting, he sent it all to people he talked to on Discord, plus the live stream of the shooting. Now, the Discord archive is more illustrative than the manifesto itself because it's what he actually believed. It's not a knockoff term paper that plagiarized past mass shooters. And in it, one thing kept coming up. The Buffalo shooter had a toothache he couldn't fix. The Buffalo shooter apparently tried to get his bad tooth treated, went to the dentist, and whatever the dentist tried didn't fix it. He didn't or couldn't go anywhere else. He alluded to insurance problems. But instead of blaming insurance or himself, he blamed the Jews. The Buffalo shooter blamed the dentist, who he said was Jewish, but also Jews in gentle, Jews in general, who he was convinced was the cause of all his suffering. He openly admitted he started feeling this way at the start of the pandemic because of uh, 4chan. It reminds me of that uh, anti-dentite bit on uh, Seinfeld. Where, where Seinfeld runs into a dentist to converse to to Judaism for the jokes. So they don't want a baby. <laughs> I think I'm gonna be sick. <laughs> hey, where's Marcy? She uh, went shopping for some shoes for the wedding, and uh, this isn't the right anti-dentite clip. See her in six to eight months. <laughs> oh come on, guys! You're just totally destroying my hey, rhythm here. here. I just assume not sit next to you, Kramer. <laughs> Man, trying to do this this high quality show. I'll see you tonight. Okay. Date with Karen? No, Julie. She's the one. What happened to Karen? Well, Mickey and her have a lot more in common. You know, her parents are little people. Oh, small world. (laughs) So little people can have non-little people children? Oh, yeah, and vice versa. Mother Nature's a mad scientist, Jerry. (laughs) So you won't believe what happened with Watley today. It got back to him that I made this little dentist joke, and he got all offended. <laughs> Those people. Okay. They, they didn't even give me the clips in order, man. 
this is this is frustrating me. I'm trying to do a high quality show here. Mister, I, do you know when Father Curtis has office hours? Well, not until tomorrow. Oh, I really need to speak with him. And Jerry Seinfeld, the Jew, is trying to find Father Curtis. So he's got to he's got to kneel down in a church in a confessional booth. A little rusty. It's been a while since he's gone to confession. You know that's a kneeler. Oh. Tell me your sins, my son. Uh, well, I, I should mention that I'm Jewish. Well, that's no sin. Oh, good. Anyway, I, I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Watley. I, I have a suspicion that he's converted to Judaism purely for the jokes. <laughs> and this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian. <laughs> and it'll interest you to know that he's also telling Catholic jokes. Well... Uh... I, I mean, and they're all jokes. We begin today... I mean, the Pope and Raquel Welch in a lifeboat. I haven't heard that one. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you have. They're out on the ocean and yada, yada, yada. And she, and she says, those aren't buoys. <laughs> Father. One second. <laughs> Well, if it would make you feel better, I could speak to Dr. Watley. Uh, I, I have to go back and have a wisdom tooth removed. Good luck. You know the difference between a dentist and a sadist, don't you? Um, Newer magazines. <laughs> That's funny. Now, if you would excuse me. Jerry, i got to talk to you. Okay, so... Yeah, Jerry goes to the dentist. The dentist is Cheryl, would you ready the nitrous oxide, please? <laughs> well, where's uh, Jennifer today? Oh, she's over at Dr. Sussman's office. Yeah, we find it fun to swap now and then. You just take some deep breaths and try to relax. Wait, this isn't the joke. Man, what do, what do I have to do to get to get the joke? Hey, Tim. George, you know Tim Watley. Yeah, dentist of the stars. What's up? I'll tell you what's up. I'm a Jew. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm a Jew. I finished converting two days ago. Oh, well. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks. So I'll see you tomorrow? Yeah, I have a cavity, lower left. Hey, uh, were you just at the health club? Oh, yeah. No, we must have just missed you. Oh, well, I didn't do much. I just sat in the sauna. You know, it was more like a Jewish workout. <laughs> That's it. Elaine, 
giving the guys Jewish two days, he's already making Jewish jokes. So what? When someone turns 21, they usually get drunk the first night. Booze is not a religion. Tell that to my father. Hey, it is cavity time. Ah. <laughs> uh, ah, uh, here we go. That rich reminds me, did you hear the one about the rabbi and the farmer's daughter? Huh? <laughs> Those aren't matzo balls. <laughs> what? Tim, do you think you should be making jokes like that? Why not? I'm Jewish, remember? I know, but... Jerry, it's our sense of humor that sustained us as a people for 3,000 years. 5,000. 5,000, even better. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, Okay. Not 5,000. Chrissy? It's 3,000. The compliment's yeah, right. Stickle of fluoride. <laughs> and then he asked the assistant for a stickle of fluoride. Why are you so concerned about this? I'll tell you why. Because I believe Watley converted to Judaism just for the jokes. Hello? Would you be interested in a subscription to the New York Times? Yes. Valley Curtis, good guy. Oh, which reminds me. Did you hear the one about the Pope and Raquel Welch and the lifeboat? Mm -hmm. Huh? <laughs> I'll tell you later. Watley. So Watley says to me, hey, I can make Catholic jokes. I used to be Catholic. Now see, I don't think it is a Catholic joke. I think it's more of a Raquel Wells joke. What was it? No, I said, hand me the buoys. <laughs> buoys. <laughs> Don't you see what Watley is after? Total joke-telling immunity. He's already got the big two religions covered. If he ever gets Polish citizenship, there'll be no stopping him. I think this Father Curtis might be very interested to hear what Watley has the Pope doing with Raquel Welch. <laughs> <sighs> Wait, are you about done? Well, I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> because I'm just a sadist with newer magazines. <laughs> huh? Father Curtis told me your little joke. I really didn't appreciate it. Your Jewish jokes. I'm Jewish. You're not a dentist. You have no idea what my people have been through. The Jews? No, the dentists. You know, we have the highest suicide rate of any profession. Is that why it's so hard to get an appointment? Okay. It can be so touchy. Those people. Listen to yourself. What? You think the dentists are so different from me and you? They came to this country just like everybody else in search of a dream. Wally's from Jersey. Yes, and now he's a full-fledged American. Kramer, he's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentite. I am not an anti-dentite. You're a rabid anti-dentite. Oh, it starts with a few jokes and some slurs. Hey! Dentie! Next thing you know, you're saying they should have their own schools. They do have their own schools. Yeah. Okay, so 
back to the thread by Ben Ben Collins of NBC News. So at the start of the pandemic, the Buffalo shooter said he moved over from 4chan's gun board to the white nationalist poll board out of extreme boredom. He's inundated with the ideas that Jews were trying to replace whites on 4chan and social media. So some other shooters read white nationalist literature, the dumb books like the Turner Diaries. Not the Buffalo shooter. He was a creature of the internet. Middle of his manifesto is just copy-pasted anti-Semitic 4chan memes. This is why the Buffalo shooter said he attacked the supermarket. He said he was, he said, only shitposting in real life. Serving a community of white nationalists he met online. That grabbed me when he notes he was only shitposting in real life. That's a chilling perspective. I'm not a big fan of shitposting on the internet. And the reason is that it does feed into your real life behavior. So he was only shitposting in real life, serving a community of white nationalists he met online. So everything we do is pretty much we have other people in mind. I mean, even if you're rubbing one out, you very likely have some Playboy Playmate or checkout clerk at Starbucks or Ralph's, you know, in mind. So toward the end of his Discord archive, the Buffalo shooter was getting anxious. He wanted to do the attack in March. He kept pushing it back. Wanted to do it soon, though, because he thought he would finally get help for his aching tooth from the healthcare in prison. Wow. I just thought that was a fascinating story. If I, if I want to shit post on 4chan and I want to do it anonymously because I'm wanting to have my... Yeah, so I side more with Richard here. Just shit posting uh, online takes a toll on your soul. My jolly is because I've got 10 minutes to spare or something. What's the, what is it to you? <laughs> the notion <laughs> you're making an anecdotal <laughs> argument. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm glad you're... I'm, no, I'm not. I'm making. I'm glad you're happy, Sticks. But the notion <laughs> that 99% of users are acting like you is incredible. And the they are not. 99% of them are acting like you is also incorrect. They have. A I'm not making that claim. I'm not making that claim. Yeah. They, they, yeah they, they, At exactly. some point, they have people a life. They need work. to save. They need to uh, consider the salus populi. They need to consider the health of the people. And make a determination that isn't just based on like abstract notions of freedom. Yeah, there's a weapons page on questions as well. There's no porn there. There's nothing degenerate according to your sensitivities. It's people talking about the guns they own and various tips and so forth. There's an origami page on 4chan. Do you have a problem with origami? Someone might make an origami vagina, so keep that in mind before you answer. No, but for your depiction of 4chan as this, like, your depiction, if I listen to you about 4chan, it sounds like Etsy or something. That's not what it is, and you know it. I'd say that it was an evil. And that's true. 4chan is not just like Etsy. 4chan's a pretty dark place. But let's get some, let's get something a lot happier. I mean, check out this body surfing. This guy is body surfing. Like 40-foot waves. Here, let's, let's play some more of this. This is a fascinating article in the New York Times. Riding the world's biggest waves without a surfboard. Right? This guy goes to you know, the most dangerous places, like that place off Portugal with 100-foot waves, and he's body surfing 40-foot waves. I mean, it's incredible. Like I, I felt brave when I've body surfed twelve or fifteen foot waves. But to, to body surf forty foot waves, I mean, this this unbelievable story. So, 
He's a 28-year-old from Brazil. And he glides through just these amazing waves. Right? He, he's he's body surfed off the coast of Nazaire, Portugal. Right? The Mount Everest of wave riding. He's he's tackled some some of the biggest surf on the planet. Just incredible. So body surfing is like every cell in your body is humming with the energy of the ocean. I've never learned to ride a surfboard, but I love body surfing. It's the closest you can get to physically experiencing the universe's tangible energy. Now, catching a big wave requires body surfers to position themselves in the lineup as a surfer. We're treading water until the right wave arrives. So Lantanzi once treaded water for four hours to catch three waves off Nazaire. Once the right wave approaches, body surfers must generate as much speed as possible by swimming and kicking their fins and using their arms, torso, and legs to control direction and speed while inside the wave. So many of these body surfers look to seals, dolphins, and otters for how to best maneuver in the water. Body surfers ride headfirst into massive waves. It's more dangerous perhaps than board surfing, especially for novice riders who tend to catch waves in shallow water may not know how to avoid head planting when the wave breaks. So I would keep my hands out in front of me to cushion the shock if I get smashed into the sand. So board surfers are more likely to receive lacerations from being hit by their boards. Body surfers are more likely to come into contact with the seafloor, which can cause devastating cervical spine injuries. I mean, look at this body surfing off the north shore of Oahu in Kiki Beach in Florida. It's got his sight set on Mavericks. It's a notoriously dangerous wave in Northern California that can reach heights of over 60 feet. Helps to tackle that this year. Takes a tranquil mind, incredible strength, incredible lungs. Aqua Gorilla is what we call him because he's so strong in the water. He is the ultimate water man. So when this one bloke tried to conquer Mavericks in 2016, he bruised a lung, he fractured his neck, he broke his collarbone and seven ribs was airlifted to Stanford Hospital. Mavericks is just a different animal that's unlike any wave on the planet. It's incredibly savage. So this guy paddles out into the world's most dangerous surf breaks. He's swimming out in water. I wouldn't even consider what's driving him. The answer is because I love it. I love the adrenaline. I love this feeling of being surrounded by water, finding the biggest barrels and pushing my limits. Yeah, I, I'm chasing, chasing adrenaline for sure. Just amazing. I, I just... Wow. 40 foot waves. Body surfing. 40 foot waves. Incredible. Okay. Let's uh, get a little bit more here from uh, Sticks. eBay style site. I'm just saying that there are non foreign boards. That's the majority of them. Yes, that's all it was. That's all it was. There wouldn't be a serious issue to discuss. There is not. The serious. The serious you, you issue. You brought it up and the ADL has brought it up. That's basically it. The legacy media and Richard Spencer have a problem with 4chan and BitChute and literally every other site. BitChute doesn't have any porn on it, but it got panned by the ADL. Do you have a problem with them? You can have an account on there. You don't have to provide your actual information and say, hey, my name is John Smith. Do you have a problem with that? What about is there any? Where we're streaming right now on YouTube. I'm Six Hammer. Tarl Warwick is not my account name. Do you have a problem with that? 
I am saying that there are serious problems for broader society that derive specifically from all of the things that you just mentioned. You can always mention things that are like, oh, this is a good poster on 4chan. I'm sure there, I'm sure we could find one, perhaps. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, something on Odyssey. Oh, this, know, this is a great streamer on Odyssey. Sure, I get it. But to deny the reality <laughs> of the toxicity of this culture is just bizarre. You seem to not take it Richard. seriously. You think Richard. there are no consequences to it. You Richard. think there are no consequences to people's health because of this nonsense. No. Because uh, you used, fixate you on freedom. You, you, so far, every time that we've had an interpersonal... Right, so saying uh, sticks fixates on freedom. So people tend to fixate on one or two values when really uh, the wise person keeps values in a constellation. So freedom is one value, but the health of society is another value. There are usually many different values that are competing with each other, and to not recognize this this competition between uh, many different values is is a common moral error that people make. There are there are yeah, words the that yeah, I agree. It should be censored. Yeah, the Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. Gatsby. Yeah. Okay, but, uh, but the problem is, if you look at history, how many times has that actually worked, and in retrospect, not been effectively state terrorism or severest authoritarianism? It's, or it's, it's been used every time by every society, including ours, and we wouldn't exist if it was a bad thing. It's something that mm -hmm. does need to be used on occasion. Well, and what I'm saying is that exactly. what I'm arguing against is going into this libertarian sphere where we. And that's really a weak argumentation by Sticks to, to respond to an argument for censorship by saying, well, Pol Pot likes censorship, right? That's, that doesn't hold up. Just because Pol Pot drank water or Pol Pot ate rice or Pol Pot went to the Sorbonne uh, doesn't mean that any of those things are bad. And just because uh, Pol Pot and Stalin use censorship, that's not a good argument against censorship. You become fixated on free speech itself and not thinking about what we actually believe and what we actually want in a society. Now, in terms of the free speech issue. Who's this um, we, by the way? You keep using that particular term. What about those who dissent? Do you want to put them in the gulag or like Stalin did? Or? Yeah. There's going to be a 4chan gulag. It'll have fleshlights along the wall and, uh, you know, pe pe it'll have Pepe Inside posters. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, I'm a benign totalitarian. Yeah, we would still have their Right. We would still give them their comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Case closed. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, let, go ahead. Finish your point. Then I'll okay. ask some of these questions. Of, well, you, you can. Uh, I'll, well, let me go on it. Look, sure. Finish it. You mentioned the Federal Federalist Papers. Okay. What did the founding fathers really believe about free speech? Keep in mind that in the Adams administration, there was the Alien and Sedition Act. So many people look back on it now through our lens and say, oh, look, you know, so early on in the Republic, they disobeyed and betrayed their, their deepest values. The exactly. fact is, the First Amendment is not what you think it is. The first, if we go to a English writer like uh, English jurist like Blackstone, we understand the concept of free speech was never a free for all, which is basically what we have after Oliver Wendell Holmes. The notion of free speech was that there are no prior restraints on speech. That means that uh, you cannot lock someone up to prevent him from speaking. That is, you know, we know that you're a dissident. We're going to throw you in a dungeon. We'll never. That's not the meaning of the first amendment. No, that's not the meaning of the first amendment. No, it's not. You also can't You're lock a person up for You are looking at it strictly through contemporary <laughs> eyes and not seeing it how they saw it. Why would so you even be appealing the to the Constitution free when you argue for balkanization of the United States? I the, don't argue for balkanization of the United States. That's the have. opposite of what I want. No, I haven't.
I've never wanted the balkanization. I've always argued against secession and balkanization. I'm a supporter of the European Union, for God's sake. <laughs> that explains a lot. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I apologize for getting a little mad about that. No, Richard's absolutely right. He's never stood for balkanization. Richard stands for empire. You don't necessarily need to have, to know all of my views. It's fine if you don't. But no, I am not a supporter. Don't know most of mine. Uh, Jesus. Uh, well, I, I I don't know all of yours because I'm I don't understand your you know magical. You don't even powers. understand the '80s but, as much as I do. We'll be listening to <laughs> Iron Curtains condos later or something. Fair enough. We'll but, go down the dark wave rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, I'll learn. This was a form of public entertainment before TV and radio existed. Uh, who Fair was to stop them from doing that other than municipal governments in the territories? When you engage in direct attacks or undermining of the state or undermining of religion or undermining of the people's health, the state stepped in, including in 1914 with the Sedition Act. Now, Oliver Wendell Holmes originally upheld the Sedition Act, and this he actually birthed in a United States versus Shank, he birthed the um, aphorism that everyone knows now. You're Wait, Josh Randall says ivermectin censorship was deadly. There's no evidence that ivermectin is effective for treating COVID. Not allowed to yell fire in a crowded movie theater when there is no fire. Which is um, actually so a, inaccurate legally, by the way. Well, uh, inaccurate illegally, you're, again, you're looking at everything from the, the standpoint of the 21st century. You have to understand where, wh that was in the decision of U.S. versus Shank. So that was absolutely legal at the time. Now, Wendell Holmes changed his mind because he spoke with various progressives and he birthed these ideas of America's this, this great experiment. And so this is us versus Abrams. He, when he dissented. So what his con the concept of un unconsequential, inconsequential free speech came from a dissent. Yes. Yeah, so I'm deadly serious about ivermectin. There's, there's, there's been exhaustive studies of ivermectin and, and COVID and, the evidence overwhelmingly points to it doesn't have any therapeutic value for treating COVID. To a, a decision by the um, uh, Supreme Court. And he basically said, oh, well, America is just this big experiment. We don't know what's right. So we need to have a free marketplace of ideas. And, of course, the best ideas will win out. Uh, like and so on. He did that in defense of communist pamphleteers, by the way. So this is... Oh, yeah, communism. I think that communists should be able to speak freely, too. And they did for 100 years, and they lost for a reason. And now, basically, nobody wants communism. It, see, the free market won out in the end. Uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of people who want communism. And, uh, uh, fewer you know, than you believe. The, the, uh, the you idea, I think maybe a fundamental divide between the two of us is basically the idea that, or the, idea that the best idea wins out in the end. I, I think that in the popular mind, particularly with the ability of manipulation through through state entities and money and so on, the worst ideas will ultimately win out. Okay, so I think that's a bridge too far. I, I wouldn't argue that the best ideas always went out, but to argue that the worst ideas went out is is nonsense. Terrible, toxic, there's that word again, ideas will win out. And that is a terrible thing. And at some point, someone needs to make a decision on behalf of the people against those ideas. And of course it's you, or someone who believes generally as you do. See, that's the problem with the authoritarians. They all think the same thing. The communists, Nazis, people of generic fascism, neoliberals, all of these groups. It's great to censor people. We should only have speech that I agree with. Anything that offends my sensitivity should not be allowed. Well, we've been through this before for thousands of years, and it's never benevolent. It rarely works. You look at the Soviet Union, uh, people were, were taking Depeche Mode uh, cassettes and circulating them on the black market. Your favorite band was banned in the Soviet Union, Richard. And people, they stood up, well, okay. people I, I, I called your point. 
I get degeneracy. Your it was going to give, give, give young uh, young girls sexual ideas and t- teach people how to use heroin. I get, I get, I take. Okay, so let me take a quick glance here at Twitter. Quote from an Israeli physician and a former member of the Knesset, the right-wing National Union Party, Professor Aryeh Eldad says there is no future for the Jewish people in the diaspora unless they are ultra-Orthodox. Then a response from a lefty non-Orthodox. He says, I hate to say it, but as a lefty non-Orthodox diaspora Jew, there's something to this. We want the futures of neither Orthodox insularity, nor Zionism, nor American assimilation, but we struggle to imagine alternate possibilities, so we orient a lot of our identity around the past. That's uh, Joel Swanson. He's a graduate student at uh, the University of Chicago. So let's get a little bit of uh, Richard Spencer here after the sixth. I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed in the debate I did this morning. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I can talk a little bit about it. Um, I mean, I guess I was happy that I got some good ideas in, but I I don't know. I just think they're kind of like limits to debating sticks at this point. He's kind of a cool guy, but he just kind of gets annoying and he's always into all this just kind of ad hominem stuff, which is just strikes me as kind of desperate and petty. But I, I think I was able to get some important ideas out there. I mean, I think the one that I developed that wasn't as much in the um, monologue that I did two nights ago, uh, which I thought was very good, which kind of focused a lot on the legal aspect of all this, um, but is the, the notion of, of mimetic transference. And it, I mean, in some ways it's very simple, but it, it just needs to be reiterated because there's this notion, it seems that like, you know, there's transsexuality um, is the, you know, a, a kind of created by the Democrats, the government or, or what have you. And um, it's obviously coming from some other force. And, you know, it's almost, it's kind of incredible when you think about it, like where transsexuality would be if it weren't for something like TikTok. And I think something like TikTok probably has like dramatically, a dramatically larger effect on people's minds than like some book in the school library. <laughs> I mean, I support the, the I mean, the conservatives are of course, you know, goofballs, but um, I, I do support them uh, basically banning stuff. I support at least, I, I think there's a morality to censorship and banning. And, um, but beyond that, I mean, like TikTok has had so just a much greater impact on their children's minds than any book in the school library. And it's worth thinking about this. It's like when you see these statistics, I mean, I saw one particularly alarming statistic about, um, and I'm actually making some I'm, hamburgers are on a pan right now. That's what you probably like. If you hear that crisp crackle of hamburgers on a pan, that's what it is. But um, I. Uh, so reverse cowgirl 69 says the strip club is a sadly a leading indicator of the economy. I can promise you all we're in a recession. Me getting stock alerts just to decide whether it is worth going back to school. And her Twitter bio says the duality of thought, Columbia MPH 4. So what does an MPH stand for? And, uh, oh, it's a degree in public health. A master's of public health. Oh, okay. So this lovely lady is doing a master's in public health and she's checking up on the stock market to see whether it's worth it to go into work. So you heard it from the stripper. There you go, mate. 
I, you know, you can look at these, I saw this one poll that basically indicates that 20% of um, Gen Z kids are transsexual or identify, not transsexual, but identify with LGBTQ and so on. And, um, you know, you can look at that in a few ways. You can look at that through Spike Mutant's thesis, but I think even, you know, Ed and at his most outlandish wouldn't suggest that 20% of the population is a spiteful mutant. Um, but I, I think you can, you know, you could also say that it's a, it's a fad, it's a trend. And even if they're, even if some, you know, teenage girl isn't, you know, non-binary that she almost wants to pretend like she is because it's cool or she feels like she might gain status or something. That also might be true, but it, that seems to beg the question of where is this coming from? This isn't just coming, it isn't just emerging for no reason. There has to be some cause for it. And I guess some liberal could say this, that 20% of the Gen X population, 20% of the boomer population is also LGBTQ. And they just were suppressed or repressed or they were bullied in middle school or something. That just seems to be absolutely wrong. And it shows the power of mimetic transference and the way in which a idea can infect people's minds and then infect their bodies and infect their lives and their actions. And it, that is something that's very powerful. And you should make a decision regarding that. And at the end of the day, ban something that is completely toxic. And I, I just feel like libertarians just aren't willing to recognize that basic fact. And I think they're probably a lot more willing to recognize it in terms of um, LGBTQ stuff. But I, I think they're, they're less willing to kind of go there when it comes to like the way in which a site like 4chan really does make us worse. And whatever, you know, based ideas that go against the grain are promoted on a site like that, um, for the most part, it is turning people into monsters. Um, but it is that power. I mean, as I, as I said, it's like art imitates life and it's not the other way around. So I, I think in, in another way that this kind of gels with a lot of um, Marx conceptions of things. But anyway, that was just my, uh, just some opening thoughts. Does anyone want to jump in? Do you think Sticks and other libertarians believe in free will? And uh, Art Bell says that JF P won't have Ed Dutton on his show anymore. He says that Ed is too incorrect about assigning morality to evolution. All right, let's move forward here in this recent Richard Spencer publicly recorded uh, chat with his Substack subscribers. So here we go. Saying, like, which were like pro-ISIS or more or less uh, using the kind of uh, rhetoric which people ran over people in trucks in Nice and mm -hmm. Paris were doing. Like that person would have been investigated by the secret police and the court, etc. It's just extreme whining. But I, I, in the, um, in the, so like, here's uh, Richard going off on uh, Tucker Carlson and Peter Brimlow. Right, and maybe there shouldn't be legal repercussions. But I, I mean, all I am saying is that this is like if you offer this just like extreme whining, which is what these people offer, you know, and Ann Coulter, Peter Brimlow, Tucker Carlson, etc. It's just extreme whining then like, I don't know, you, you either do nothing with that whining and you basically continue to whine about your own displacement or you go out with a gun and murder people. Like there just doesn't, there's no productive way that this can go. Well, and I just think it's a huge problem. Go ahead. Sorry, um, it seems to me they lack a message of uh, positivity. In other words, they just, like you said, they whine, they complain. It, it's always about an other, you know? Okay, I, I don't think that stands up, right? You can't, you can't, sum up and dismiss and quarter Peter Brimlow and Tucker Carlson as just extreme whining. 
I think what's more accurate to say is that Richard doesn't have any charity or anything good to say about anyone who can possibly be a competitor for him. So he's uh, quite loath to to praise any any other right wing commentator. Look at all these people who resonate with our ideas or whatever. They're just talking about this AR baggy like it really is like it's just Americans that is white blah blah blah. No one take a class issue and their minds of their ancestors. That was the original replacement. Yes, that that is true. I, I to, to go back a little bit on this. I I, I think one of the issues is in, in many ways like a class issue and not just a a race issue because all of these people i mean you know peter brimlow will claim oh i'm not a white nationalist i'm a civic nationalist and i blah 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 no one takes that seriously <laughs> i mean everyone sees through what he's doing and he just calls americans white he'll say this they'll, they'll even like explain the code to you sometimes and they'll be like americans that is white people like or whites that is americans like it's, it's just kind of hilarious but it's not so much they're actually supporting like white people writ, writ large or like who we are or who we should be or our multi-layers it really is like a very particular white person that they are endorsing and so it is a maybe middle class suburban but probably like lower middle class rural or exurban or etc like there's a certain type of republican voter that is trump's base that they are backing and they're not really necessarily backing like the white race which has many different layers to it and actually is quite diverse. And so when they talk about all these things, like, you know, how could you not vote for Trump? Or like, well, you know, Trump, you know, it's at the right place. Like, look at all these people who resonate with our ideas or whatever. They're just talking about this, like, very particular class of whites. And remember, classes are genetically based just as much as races are. I mean, classes are kind of sub-subspecies, you could say. Race is a subspecies. They're, they're just like the defenders of these people. Uh, Richard is fun to listen to because his... his... His attacks are so sharp. I mean, sharp, not necessarily as in accurate, but sharp as in fun to listen people. to. And these people do have some virtues, but they also have a hell of a lot of vices. And they're not, have never been in their entire history, a ruling class or a class that is really like push progressed or push something forward. They, they are kind of like a residual class. And I don't, you know, again, I don't want to sound like too snobby here, but like, you know, we, we can't just put all of our eggs into this basket. Someone has said that uh, the real white genocide or the real white replacement is that uh, you have these like rural retards like these evangelics or replacing high, high IQ progressives in cities. And that's, uh, that's like a real thing that's going on. And this okay, let's uh, play a little bit more. This is from Richard's uh, podcast on may 17th against free speech the concept really was somewhat derived from nordicism it was about ethnic coherence uh, madison grant had a great deal to do with that act at least theoretically and he actually was a bit of a imminence grise who was promoting immigration restriction for a long time and got his way in the 1920s um also immediately after 1965 due to the family reunification concept uh, whites were immigrating to the United States. I mean, Europeans were. So it was really once you get into the late 70s and 80s that that's, there started to be a very strong Hispanic uh, quality to immigration and so on. So I, I mentioned this digression just to say that I, uh, I mean, I have serious critiques of the 65 Act, but I, I don't think it was a kind of conspiracy theory. Or excuse me, I don't think it was a conspiracy and I don't have a conspiracy theory about it. Um, I don't think people... Yes, Upbelt notes, YouTubers are hunting around for rage food, rage porn to regurgitate to their viewers, to, to mirror to their viewers, to, to keep them coming back, right? The best way to get engagement 
is to elicit the emotion of rage. Right? Social media commentary and uh, social media posts that invoke rage are the ones that are most likely to be shared. We're secretly you know, twirling their mustache saying, oh, all these Hispanics are going to vote Democrat, will win forever. Uh, the other interesting thing to point out is that um, under Trump, Democrats seem to be moving towards the Republican Party. Interesting. As well as African-Americans, although only slightly. Um, Trump actually received less of the white vote, lower percentage of the white vote than did Mitt Romney in 2012. And that trajectory continued into 2020. But these are all digressions. The fact is, I do think that that act should, you know, be, I, I do think that the term great replacement and its concept should be discussed seriously. But when it's discussed on 4chan, there is just a natural tendency for it to turn into this brutal numbers game and to turn salacious, stupid, and violent. And such is the internet. We have all heard about this and we probably all experienced this is, is an interesting point I, I don't i don't agree with richard in censoring this but he's making an interesting argument to, to some degree the internet is almost inherently pornographic the large amount of space in the internet that's taken up by all right to, to argue the internet is is pornographic again that's not the nature of the internet that's the nature of richard's inclinations Right. right. I've been no fat for nine years. I have no problem going day in, day out, porn-free use of the internet. Hardcore pornography, increasingly intense, insane pornography is just remarkable. And there does seem to be a kind of drug addiction element to the internet itself. There can be, all right, for, for deranged people, people who lack real-world connections, right? Everything can, can be addictive. Cell phones, uh, cheese, right? Extreme exercise, I mean, all of these uh, social media companies obviously want to addict you on some level. So you stay on the platform, you're creating content for the platform, et cetera. Um, but it, it, it... Yeah, everyone wants your attention, right? We live in an attention economy, but it's up to the individual and, and to his community and to his tribe and to his religion and, and to his culture to, to develop a better way of living, a better ethos. If you have a normal amount of ties to other people, you're not likely to get sucked into internet addiction or booze addiction or pill addiction. Right? It comes down to if you're connected to others, you will be able to regulate your emotions, generally speaking, and you'll be competent at life, effective at life, and uh, you'll likely be a fairly upstanding individual. If you lack those normal human ties, then you're very likely to be a great source of trouble for yourself for people who care about you and for wider society. It seems to be a, an aspect of the internet itself. This is worth going into in another monologue and I'll leave it at that. But you, you know, just like the drug addict needs a stronger and stronger hit. He might even need a stronger and stronger drug. So the internet. I love this comment by Brandon Smith. Real life only works for sycophants and their masters. <laughs> right. So my life sucks. I imagine that anyone who is enjoying life, there must be something morally wrong with them. That way, even though my life sucks, I can still feel morally superior to them. Because I'm going to attribute you know, all sorts of you know, bad morals to people who are effective at life. But for normies who are enjoying life, there's got to be a way still that I can be superior to them. User needs something more and more intense. The other aspect of this is that politics previously, at least political theory, um, was discussed in books. It was discussed by a smaller percentage of the population. Um, the people got, you know, sound bites and personality and so on. 
Um, and now with the internet, this has been democratized. And the way you communicate to people is through the meme. Can you sum it all up in a crazy image? And, you know, at the end of the day, the 2015 through 2017 alt-right, you know, kind of summed it up with a gas chamber meme. But again, I'll leave all of this <laughs> for now and focus on the legal aspect of free speech. Uh, suffice it to say that the internet in general is not a healthy place. And 4chan in particular... That's nonsense. There's nothing inherently unhealthy about the internet, right? There are unhealthy people who can become unhinged with 27 different things, including the internet. So I was really honored this week when Laponia said that I did the only show on YouTube that he didn't hate himself after watching. So I try to, to do a show that has, if it's going to have any effect on you whatsoever, it's, it's a positive or at least a neutral one. Particular is dramatically horrible. I, I don't really have the words for a place that specializes in insanity, pornography, and whose greatest contribution to political discourse has been QAnon. That sums it up. It is a cesspool, and there's no other way of putting it. But, we say, <clears throat> that might be true. And all of that nonsense on 4chan might very well have fragmented the mind of Peyton Gendron. And he was probably, or almost certainly, mentally ill, but this somehow made him worse. Or it articulated a way for him to enact his vile fantasies. Something like that. But we just can't ban something like 4chan. And we just can't suppress something like this due to the First Amendment and America's devotion to free speech. Well, let's look into that. I want to first talk about just the First Amendment itself. And I will read it because it's so short. So 1791, Amendment 1, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Now, one thing we do need to understand from the outset is that words can change meaning. And I'll, I'll use a classic example just to illustrate this point. Uh, when you hear the word virtue, it has certain connotations in our culture. It actually derives from the Latin word meaning man. You can hear that in words like virile and so on. But the word virtue can mean very different things to different people and in different contexts. At some point, this word evolved to a point that it almost meant the exact opposite of its original meaning. That, means, that, that is, it means a woman's virtue or female chastity. It's a almost contradiction in terms, but again, language can change. And so, I mean, you could conceivably go and read Plutarch now and read about, you know, see virtue, virtue, virtue on the page and think that he's talking about female chastity. Now, of course, I, I think, don't think most people do that. And I'm exaggerating, but I'm exaggerating to make a point. And that is that words and terms do change. Meaning. So in my late 20s, in my late teens, into my, my 20s, into my 30s, I thought, oh, Christianity pays way much you know, way too much attention to sexual sins, that there are other sins that are, that are more important. And I, I still do believe that, that there are large swaths of generally conservative Christianity regards con sexual sins as the very worst sins. But maybe more accurate to say that they're very likely to be the most damaging sins for many individuals, maybe not society as a whole, certainly, you know, cruelty 
is usually a far worse sin. Meaning. And they can change meaning pretty dramatically. So we hear that term, freedom of speech, and we think we know what it means. Now, luckily, Richard is here and he's going to tell us what freedom of speech really means. An experiment. Um, so I'll just read this because it's worth reading. Holmes is a very good writer. Persecution for the expression of opinion seems to me perfectly logical if you have no doubt of your premises of your power and want a certain result with all your heart. You naturally express your wishes in law and sweep away all opposition. To allow opposition by speech seems to indicate that you think the speech impotent, as when a man says that he has squared the circle, or that you do not care wholeheartedly for the result, or that you doubt either your power or your premises. But when men have realized that time has upset many fighting faiths, they may come to believe even more uh, than they believe in the very foundation of their own conduct, that the ultimate good desired is better reached by free trade in ideas. Also, this is somewhat the origin of the marketplace of ideas concept. That the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get itself accepted in the competition of the market. And that truth is the only ground upon which their wishes safely can be carried out. That, at any rate, is the theory of our constitution. It is an experiment, as all life is an experiment. So this is, again, I, I, I don't think Holmes invented this phrase, but it is this, he, he defined it, he owned it, this notion of the, the United States as a great experiment. And we don't even know where it's going to go. So this was a descent in the jailing of pamphleteers. That is people who were actively attempting to undermine the government and actively supporting the Russian revolution. These are commies and Holmes is defending them. And he is making a extremely provocative suggestion that maybe they're right. We, we need to hear them out. And I don't think he thought that they were right. I know he didn't think that they were right, but he is opening space for someone who might be right and who might dramatically challenge the nature of government. So Holmes reversed himself over the course of a year or so um, after speaking with many progressives and being influenced by them and opening himself up to these new ideas. Now, a jurist who did not do this was the German ju jurist, Karl Schmitt, who really expressed a, a, a just contradictory understanding of this when he wanted the uh, president of the Weimar Republic to throw out the extreme parties. In effect, you know, if we're going to have a functional parliamentary government, we have to throw out these people who are actively attempting to undermine it. Now In other words, no freedom for the enemies of freedom. So Richard, uh, Karl Schmidt, before he became a Nazi, he supported the banning of the Nazi and communist parties. Now, you know, obviously Karl Schmidt is extremely controversial due to his affiliation with the uh, National Socialist, um, his famous or infamous justification for the Night of Long Knives and, and so on. Um, even though he fell out with the National Socialist and so on, he, he was treated as a bet noir of sorts uh, post-war. Um, even so, there, there is a kind of germ of an idea that connects with Karl Popper and his famous or infamous, you know, we must not tolerate intolerance. And in order to be tolerant, we must be intolerant. So totally contradictory, at least seemingly. What he's saying basically is that you can't, tolerate these extremists. You, you have to censor them on some level and you have to kick them out of parliament in order for there to be a tolerant society. So Well, you censor people who are calling for criminal behavior, particularly violent behavior. There are limits to this. This is this contradiction. Now, I am much less of a fan of Karl Popper than I am of Karl Schmitt. Um, I think Popper's uh, view of philosophy is pretty Manichaean, almost, almost stupid on some level. But putting that aside, there is a kind of common germ to those things. 
those two men on either side of the aisle, as it were. So what they are basically saying is that there is some deep interest to censoring, that there are some, and, and censoring. Okay, so Richard went on the Stardust Whatever show. Whatever you think is, is relevant then, yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't know if I'm a wignat or not. I think I've definitely been referred to that as such, but um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I quite fit their stereotype. And I think there's also been a lot of, you know, kind of weird ideological turns that bring a lot of these things into question. So, for instance, um, back in 2018, when these terms were being developed, like American nationalist, and the, Amer the Amnats were calling the Wignats Wignats, effectively, mm -hmm. which means Wigger nationalist. So it's, it's kind of inherently a mm -hmm. you know, slander. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I think these things kind of need to be questioned because, um, I mean, I, I don't regularly watch AF content or Nick Fuentes, but I get a lot of it sent to me and I'll see stuff on my Twitter feed, mm -hmm. usually people reacting to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, the, the open support for the Russian invasion is bizarre and really calls into question the, the level of American nationalism. Um, the participation in or justification of January 6th and so on mm -hmm. also kind of calls into question this optics game that they claim to have been playing. So I, I think a lot of these things are a lot more complicated. I mean, I don't really identify with any group uh, mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the alt-right is more or less dead. It's kind of a history piece at this point. Um, so I just simply am who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm Richard Spencer. These are my opinions. This is my take on things. This is my perspective. Um, I do, you know, in, in many ways kind of work with groups, particularly Apolloism and, and groups of people who are just sympathetic towards... Uh, Apolloism is a group. It, it, it's sweeping college campuses as we speak. What I do and... Mm -hmm and want to support me and want this type of work to go forward. So, I mean, I am kind of in a group in that sense. If I'm on any team, it's the Apolloism team. But um, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm just trying to carve out a space for myself where I can seriously engage with content and attempting to like lead these online movements. I, I just, I don't even attempt to do that. Why don't you write books, Richard? That's what serious intellectuals do. They write books, they write essays. They don't just tweet and go on live streams at this point yeah 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 um i guess i was going to ask you um you uh had denounced the alt-right in 2020 you said um the maga slash alt-right movement is over and made mistakes trump is an obvious disaster but mainly the paradigm contained flaws that we now are able to perceive and it needs to end uh was there yeah. anything that was like the catalyst for that change for you well yeah a lot of things um first off i don't i'm not really in the business of denunciations you know mm -hmm. I, i'm not going to go and get on my high horse and start okay come on now richard is in the whole business what makes him so entertaining is that he loves to denounce other people on the right or you know furiously condemning people to hellfire or something mm -hmm. like that. that that's not what i do so i i might not describe it as a denunciation i i do think that we all in our own lives we have to look at things critically and understand flaws particularly when these flaws keep repeating and so there's just a kind of reiteration of the same thing over and over again mm -hmm. that the flaws that were present in the alt-right were clearly present with america first and nick Quintes. and no you know everyone's forgotten everything and learned nothing mm -hmm. as it were so um yeah it's, it's more about that i i do think i mean what was the alt-right in 2016 it's a big topic um I can, I can give you my perspective on it um i i was for a very long time, extremely skeptical of the Republican Party and conservatism. I didn't hold a lot of conservative opinions, the standard conservative opinions of, you know, let's invade the Middle East and we're, we love mm -hmm. the religious right and we are for pure and fettered free markets. I simply have never held those opinions. I don't know, maybe the free market ones. I was a libertarian for a while, to be fair, but um, mostly I did not hold those opinions. And Fox really knows how to apply the makeup to its women. I mean, women look better on Fox than any other TV channel.
And um, but Trump seemed to be this just remarkable agent of chaos. He was a wrecking ball, as Jeb Bush described him. And in many ways, he was to the left of Hillary Clinton. And I think this is a kind of remarkable aspect that has been forgotten and is, and is no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. um, Trump did more or less claim that he wanted to um, give everyone health care. He said he made statements like this. Now, he's mm -hmm. fairly vague, but he did make statements like that. He actually wrote in a book or someone wrote a book for him saying that, you know, I'm a conservative on most issues, but not on the health care matter. Um, in terms of foreign policy, uh, he was to the left of Hillary Clinton. He was outright denouncing mm -hmm. the Iraq war and the Bush family, which was remarkable. I mean, I could not believe it mm -hmm. when it happened. Someone going in, in South Carolina, of all places, yeah. either in De December of 2015 or January of 2016, something like that, just uh, doing a full on, uh, you know, unadulterated <laughs> saying yeah. the Bushes suck. Yeah. Um, Bush lied and people died is what he effectively said. It was remarkable stuff. And even in the RNC in the summer of 2016, he basically said, you know, this whole system's rigged and I'm going to rig it on your behalf. Mm -hmm. I know how it's rigged and I'm going to help you out. So it was an expression of, of some kind of socialism, so certainly populism. It was definitely um, populism. Yeah, I would definitely say. Yeah, yeah, the populist po populism. Was strong, so yeah. yeah, and populism is kind of more of an emotion mm -hmm. than an actual policy, but it's something that you see across the board. Like mm -hmm. there, there absolutely is a a populist left that mm -hmm. will say a lot of things like that. Mm -hmm. And so it was remarkable. The conservative establishment was wholly opposed to Trump, and I just saw it as him as a chaos agent. And then I can speak for myself, kind of personally. Um, I, you know, I I felt like I was never appreciated. <laughs> Or recognized and that I was smarter and more interesting than all these doofuses mm -hmm. who were appreciated. So this was a vehicle to enter the mainstream. Yeah. And that that is incredibly revealing. Right. Th this was his his porn porn moment, right? You do porn, you will shoot to public attention. And uh, Richard saw that he would get attention for throwing in with the Trump movement. And that that's absolutely how I thought of it. And that's what happened to a degree. Now you know, yes and no, but um, that, that's definitely how I view it. It's like this, he's creating chaos. There's a kind of realignment maybe taking place and there's just new space opening and conventional left and right categories are being questioned or don't, no longer seem relevant. And just to jump in to this kind of wild melee mm -hmm. um, was something that I was interested in. And when I look back on, you know, what I did, I, I do feel, I mean, there's a lot that I certainly don't regret. I do, what I regret was, I guess, two things, or I guess what I can learn from, you know, mm -hmm. you have no regrets in life, you can only learn things is that I, I did I do feel like there was a kind of clownish aspect to the alt-right. So I do think that we were saying, and this was an online, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, ethic or, or, or enthusiasm of just kind of being a clown, like saying things that are outrageous, trolling to try to get people's attention, being outrageous. And, and so I, I kind of, I'm in a different position now. I looked down on that. Yeah. I also think that I, one thing I don't like is kind of speaking in platitudes and just saying, you know, the American people are fed up and we're not going to take it anymore. And we're taking And that's true, Richard is an incredibly prolific live streamer, but he spends about as little time speaking in platitudes as, as anyone I know in the genre. Speaking back our country. Mm -hmm. I was probably better than others in not speaking in platitudes, but I did kind of speak in platitudes and mm -hmm. I, um, I reject that. Um, I, I also think that the alt-right, much like populism, it, it was an emotion more than anything. Mm -hmm. And whether it really had any form of a coherent ideology or whether it was just a kind of online click of outrageous right-wingers who were pro-Trump, that's, a, that's an important question. I, I think it was ideologically deficient. And that yeah, so Richard has far more self-awareness than 95% of live streamers in his category. That's another thing that makes him fun to listen to. That is a huge problem. And you kind of can't really build on anything when it's just a bunch of outrageous Trump fans that are friends.
basically. I, I think I agree with you. Um, it's kind of hard to know what they're really about. Um, uh, yeah. they're, they're supposed to have like specific values. And I've seen people question various people in AF and ask them what, uh, what they believe in. And it's always like very vague answers. Um, or and, it's trolling. So it's like, yeah. uh, we, we want women barefoot in the kitchen and everyone should be Roman Catholic. Hey, just joking, guys, just joking. You yeah. know? So it's like, well, what do you actually believe? Like, what is the, what's ironic and what's not ironic? Yeah, it's hard you know? to tell. Okay, so if you're going to get busted for for saying what you really think, it seems like a pretty savvy move to go the irony bro way. Right? There's nothing wrong with, with using irony and humor when what you really believe is not something you can say out loud without paying serious consequences. Yeah. Um, one thing I think I noticed is I think they've moderated their beliefs on um, on like on race. Uh, so I think initially mm -hmm. they were um, like, uh, you know, very white nationalists. Um, and now mm -hmm. they are fine with minorities. They actually have a significant, I think, amount of minorities that are part of AF that um, right. they are fine with minorities as long as minorities um, kind of like fall in line. And as long as um, as uh, like white people are still the majority, I guess, this is pretty much what their their belief is. So it seems like a very moderate. They're fine as long as the, the outgroup isn't hating them. Right. If the outgroup can join them in, in a shared vision of America, then usually in-groups are not going to experience much hostility towards those outgroups. Moderated, um, a very moderated uh, kind of view now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's happening. And that's happening with the Republican Party in general. I yeah. mean, in, in 2010, I, I remember, I think it was, his name was Ron Brownstein, wrote some of these important articles after the Tea Party election of 2010. Mm -hmm. And he basically was pointing out just a fact, which is 90% of GOP voters are white people. Mm -hmm. So it, this is the white party. You, know, <laughs> you, can talk, you can say whatever you want about it. but Right. So the Democratic Party is dominated by African-Americans. The Democratic Party has essentially chosen to become the black party. It would make sense for Republicans to position themselves as the white party that's what it is, at least demographics. I think that's increasingly less the case. Um, the Hispanic interest in the GOP and the Hispanic interest in like QAnon on social media um, in 2020 was remarkable. And uh, I, the, I mean, what's interesting also about Trump, he won a smaller percentage of the white vote. Well, if, if most Hispanics identify as white, then, then uh, the Republican Party can still be the white party and attract a significant portion of the Hispanic vote. And I think essentially many Asians would identify as white as well. From, from the perspective of many whites, you know, Japanese are honorary whites. Uh, then did Mitt Romney in 2012. A lot of people really forget that. Oh. What he did was win different white people. So he, he was able to put together, and I don't even think intentionally, I think this was just this like weird, happy accident that mm -hmm. allowed him to throw a last minute touchdown pass when there's yeah. two seconds left in the game or whatever. But he... Um, he won a different type of white people, Midwestern former Democrat. In many ways, I think many Barack Obama voters. Mm -hmm. I think there were 8 million yeah. um, Barack Obama voters. I mean, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot while invading the Capitol on January 6th, she was a Barack Obama voter. She was kind of paradigmatic of this trend. Mm -hmm. And um, so he won a lower percentage of the white vote, but a but different whites. And and then in 2020, I, I, I think he continued that. A lot of the Midwestern kind of union democratic voter type abandoned him and he couldn't put together the same coalition, but he made remarkable inroads with Hispanics. He made small, but noticeable inroads with African-Americans. So I, I think when, when they say that this is a working class, a multiracial working class party, they're not totally incorrect about that. I think they're actually largely correct. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's been a, a noticeable trend. Um, I, I did, I certainly was, you know, like coming from white nationalism um, and so-called race realism, uh -huh and so on, um, which is not necessarily any form of nationalism. It's just a way of, of taking these things seriously. You can, you can think of, you know, Charles Murray and, and mm -hmm. people like that. Um, I, I don't, I definitely not um, reneged on certainly the race realism thing. I, I think race mm -hmm. is a important scientific category and, and is mm -hmm. 
highly predictive and interesting and can illuminate various subjects. Um, I, I do think that there, I, I think a big problem with white nationalism and, and race realism is, is the kind of, to, on the first off, a kind of so what question, you know, in the sense of, well, we can agree that race is a, a real biological category that came about due to thousands of years of fairly recent evolution, of human evolution. Um, so it, it is what it is, but so what? What does that mean? Um, is that actually motivating uh, to people? Wow, Lucas scored 18 points in the first quarter for the Dallas Mavericks. They're leading the Warriors by seven. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important question. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, um, so when you talk about race, um, I'm assuming you mean like in the more the more specific categories rather than just like, um, you know, Asian, black, white, things like that. Um, uh, since those are fairly like, I would say socially constructed, at least the Asian category is like grouping like half yeah. the world's population into one group. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah, so... Um, but uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so do you believe that um, America First is imploding with everything that's going on right now? <laughs> or I do. Yeah. I, I do think it's imploding. Okay. Um, because, and I, do, and I, again, I am not a Nick Fuentes fan. I never have been. So you mm -hmm. could say, ah, this is sour grapes or schadenfreude or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's true, but I am trying to be objective. I do think it's imploding because of this problem within the alt-right that was definitely present at the alt-right in 2016. And that is friendship nationalism, as it were. So it's okay. based on, as a clique of online people. And I, I can remember even in like 2016 and 2017, people would come to me and they'd be like, you know, White Eagle just didn't like your last tweet. So you're going to have to write something. And I'm like, friendship nationalism is a wonderful thing. I mean, nationalism simply means elevating your extended family as the, the single largest group that you strongly identify with. Right? Who the fuck is White Eagle? Yeah. <laughs> Some online person yeah. who's on Discord or whatever. And it's just, there's this weird click. Of people and they have this kind of strange friendship loyalty it's kind of parasocial i mean it's digital friendship yeah and you get clout by posting a lot or being the most based or whatever and i i think you can build a movement on this basis to a certain extent but it, as has been proven in reality but i i think it ultimately will implode into infighting and purity spiraling okay why are there so many hungarian porn stars Oh no, this is never going to work. This is the worst possible idea I've had for making a bit of money I'm ever going to have. This is never going to work. Hello, 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 and welcome to this edition of the Jolly Heretic. I, I had a bit of an idea recently, which was to make a bit of extra money by um, becoming a porn star. And I discovered that in order to be a successful porn star, you had to be Hungarian. So I've been learning the old Hungarian, the old Magyar, but, but it, it's, 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 I, I, it's very, very difficult language, and I, I just don't think it's going to work. But in all seriousness, um, I've <laughs> made a very interesting request for a video, and I couldn't, I couldn't help but become interested, which is why are so many porn stars... Hungarian. Now, I think that person expected me to come up with some sort of uh, evolutionary psychological reason, something to do with the evolution of the Hungarian people, the particular environment to which they've been subjected, something like that, or, or at, le at least something uh, something that could involve correlations or whatever. But I'm, I'm afraid it. I'm afraid it, I, it doesn't. No, no such luck. Uh, it can simply be examined in historical terms, and that's what I'm going to do today. But it is extraordinary the uh, degree to which. Uh, 
uh, porn stars are Hungarian. Now, there's a map which you'll find online, porn stars per million inhabitants. And uh, in Hungary, it's 75.7 porn stars per million inhabitants, followed by the Czech Republic at 70.7. Now, this shows you how big the differences are. The Czech Republic, of course, um, is bordering uh, uh, Poland, and there it's 0.8. Germany, 5.7. France, 4.3. Spain, 6.9. Italy, 2.2. Britain, Britain's doing all right, 10.2. Uh, Finland 2.2, Estonia 1.4, Latvia a respectable 13, uh, Russia 5, Lithuania 2.9, uh, but in general you, uh, even I think uh, Romania 6.9, but they are dwarfed by what is going on in uh, Hungary with its uh, 75 porn stars per million of population. So what is, the, what is the reason for this? Well I found some research on this and there are a number of reasons. Basically it started with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the collapse of communism. So uh, you already had a porn industry in Western Europe and in America, and what you suddenly had, there was no real uh, porn industry of any significance in Eastern Europe, of course, but what you suddenly had was a vast amount of cheap Eastern European labor. So you had lots of... So it's a little bit like uh, Persians who moved to the United States and their material appetites are just unleashed. I mean, they start competing over purses. Social status is all determined by the kind of car you drive. I mean, if you if you drive a Volvo, you're laughed at. And and so I think for, for many immigrant groups, where there's an opportunity to score with, with the material goods, that uh, they become unhinged. Porn stars from a relatively patriarchal society, one might add, and so therefore a society in which there would be a great deal of pressure for women to be thin and to look after themselves and look good in a competition for the men. You had lots of women that were prepared to work for a very small amount of money. So going into Eastern Europe saved money. That's the first thing. The second thing is that is that, that particular part of, well, it's not Eastern, it's Central Europe, but Eastern Europe in the political sense. And that particular part of Eastern Europe uh, was the wealthiest part of Eastern Europe. It was considerably wealthier than Romania. Uh, and I wonder if another factor is that uh, living under communism for so long seriously diminished traditional morality considerably wealthier than all other areas of the former Eastern Bloc. And so that meant that uh, it already had the infrastructure. It already had the, the, the relevant infrastructure there to be able... And yeah, you really need a lot of infrastructure to be able to produce pornography. I mean... You just need billions and billions of dollars worth of infrastructure to be able to produce high quality pornography. Able to successfully make porn films. And I actually did a, a, a quick correlational analysis of the per capita number of porn stars with the wealth of the country within Eastern Europe. And what you find, it's, it's a positive correlation of about 0.4 between the two. The wealthier the country, then the more likely they are to have a significant porn industry. And that was a big part of it, that it was in Eastern Europe, which meant that it was much cheaper to make porn films there. You could, you could pay the, the women pittance, but there was the infrastructure there in order to do it. So uh, that's the second reason. The third reason, obviously, is just geographical as well. It's close to Western Europe. There was a tr substantial porn industry already in Germany. And uh, th there's probably some kind of biological reason why Hungarian women, th even the ones who aren't porn stars and Central European women, tend to be so gorgeous. And in Austria and in these kinds of places. And so it's, it's geographically the closest thing to do. So again, it's, it's a purely mercenary thing. It's purely a way of saving money, but it's, uh, it, it doesn't involve moving very far. One of the really interesting things about it was that uh, the research found was that it was to do with the perception of pornography as being Western.
So upon the collapse of Eastern Europe, and Eastern Europe being fully exposed to the wealth of the West, although they already kind of knew about it, of course, it became the decadence of the West, some might call it. Um, they experienced what um, has been called cultural cringe, the feeling that your culture is somehow inferior to another culture. And it's been found that when you feel that your culture is inferior to another culture, then what you will tend to do is slavishly imitate that culture and perceive everything in it, both good and bad, to be inherently good. Now, I've looked at this a lot with regard to Finland in my book, The Silent Rape Epidemic, How the Finns Were Groomed to Love Their Abusers. And Australians have had this, like cultural cringe has, has defined Australia pretty strongly until probably the last 40 years. Uh, you see that the Finns were considered sort of Eastern for quite a while, or at the very least between East and West. Uh, until the end of the war, they were categorised along in, in the same sentence as other former Russian um, uh, um, subject nations, such as Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania. They weren't categorised alongside Scandinavia. Uh, they don't speak a Scandinavian or a Nordic language. Uh, they have genetically, they're on average about 5% East Asian. It was argued in textbooks until the middle of the 20th century that they were basically a sort of semi-mongoloid people, um, even though that the evidence for that is not very good. Um, and so the, the result is that you get this thing called cultural cringe. And it was very important to Finland in 1950 or whatever it was in the early 50s to win. Uh, they won Miss World, I think it was, or Miss Universe. And this was very important because it, it showed them that they were a beautiful people. They were as good as any Western country. And they hadn't thought that uh, up to that point. They had had this cultural cringe where they had thought of themselves as Sweden's ugly sister who kind of wasn't quite European. There were a lot of books in Finland published on this, on the kind of struggle to be European, on the struggle to be accepted uh, to be European. Are we Mongols or Germanics? This kind of idea. There's lots, there's lots of research on, lots of books on this. And increasingly now, Finland is understood to be Western and sees itself as Western. But this is a relatively new thing. And among older people, you have this idea that, oh, well, no, we're not Western, we're between East and West, or even that we're, we're partially Eastern or, or something like that, based on genetics, based on culture, based on the language, which is related to languages that are definitely Eastern, that are spoken, Finno-Ugric languages that are spoken in the, in the north of Russia and in parts of Russia. Um, and... Uh, having been part of Russia and all of this. Okay, Edward Dutton, why are there so many Hungarian porn stars? Something to think about over your Shabbat. So Shabbat Shalom, good night, God bless, bye-bye.